0: Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder versus Warriors game, who stood out from that one, and the main takeaways. I'm also going to be talking about Trey Mann and his movement to the OKC Blue, potentially what that could mean for some of the other guards as well. And I'm also going to be bringing up the Thunder's upcoming game against the LA Clippers and like always guys I'm going to be giving you a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook so you do not want to miss out on that but first just starting off with the Golden State Warriors game this game happened on Saturday I know I'm getting it out a little bit late so I might cut it a bit briefer than usual summaries because I know you guys probably know what happened but you enter this one The first game they had against the Warriors was very, very exciting. Down to the wire, single digits for most of the game. And then you obviously had the outburst from Steph Curry. They kind of sealed the deal in the fourth quarter. But this was one of their better games, and it actually was the best game they had at that point in the season. So they come into this one, coming off a win, and you're thinking, hey, maybe the Thunder can build up a two-game win streak. The Warriors, they were no joke. I mean, they finished the game after the Thunder game. They were 4-0 was number one in the league only one other team was 4-0 and there was one team that was 3-0 and they got wiped they lost their last game so they're coming out with a loss Thunder coming in with a win maybe you keep that momentum going and you can steer things into the right direction and when you look at the injury report it wasn't like the Thunder were losing anybody I mean the only people they were losing were really the G League guys which I'll be talking about and then for the Warriors. They had James Wiseman, not really out there. Clay Thompson, like always, he wasn't in the rotation. And you had Jonathan Kuminga, who was active in this game and did get some time, but he hadn't played to this point. And even with that, it's kind of limited minutes with him. So they were still damaged, not like with inflicting uh, wounds, because they've kind of dealt with all this up until this game, but it still could hurt you in the grand scheme of things. Just look at the Lakers game. You take LeBron out, you think you're fine with Russ and AD. That was not the case in that contest. So anything could really happen. But the Thunder start out and they were kind of teetering with that single possession deficit for the majority of the first. I'd say maybe the first five, six minutes. That's where you saw this, where it was kind of a jousting match, and it wasn't a major deal. Like, the Warriors, they were out and about. They were getting really good inside looks, I think Draymond Green was kind of the main beneficiary. You just dump it inside. He was backing it down on Darius Baisley, just getting shots off the glass and such. For Thunder, it was not like that, but they were still hanging around, which is what you need against a team like Golden State. But once you hit the seven-minute mark in the quarter, they just got completely stonewalled. They could not hit a shot to save their life. They went 1 of 10 in a span of 5 minutes. So from the 7-minute mark to the 2-minute warning, just 1 of 10. That is absolutely terrible, and it kind of just drained the life out of the thunder because they were taking shot after shot, and it wasn't like inside shots where you just weren't getting the bounce. They were out and about at the perimeter. 9 of those 10 shots came from distance and they just were not falling, and when you keep getting those looks from downtown, and when the Warriors keep testing you, and you can't find success, that's just gonna mentally exhaust you, and that's what was happening to them, and because of it, the Warriors were able to reap their benefits, and it wasn't actually that big, you'd think, hey, if they're one of 10, they're gonna be doing pretty damn bad, well, they got to the free throw line, they hit both their free throws, Lou Dort hit a 20-foot, 24-footer, uh, to get them 5 points in that span. And Golden State only put up 10. So it's like a 7-8 point lead. But the big deal is they weren't on this seal of a single possession anymore. So they were kind of out and about. Had free reigns of the situation. And they were able to have a 28-20 to 20 lead through 1. And the big thing from this quarter was just the shooting percentages. The Thunder could not get anything to roll in. I talked about the 1-of-10 stretch. Outside of that, it really was not all that bad. They shot 7 of 10 outside of those 5 minutes, but still, as a collective, that's 38.1%, 8 of 20 overall. And then when you look at what they did from 3, it was even worse. They fell off a cliff. It didn't matter if it was in that 5-minute zone or not. They went 1 of 11, and that's not really going to get you anywhere. And when you look at the flip side of things... Steph Curry was not looking good. That's the guy that you'd expect to kind of gun out and start getting points in bunches. Did not do that. However, they had somebody else in Draymond Green. I talked about how he was just hitting shot after shot on Darius Baisley to open the contest. He even popped out to the corner for a couple of jumpers. And Baze just could not handle him. So he had 11 points to the first 12 minutes, and he kind of paved the way for what the Warriors were doing. They were shooting 44% overall. And then from three, they weren't overly impressive. They shot four of 13, but that's still much, much better than what the Thunder were doing at a one of 11 slate. But when you move on to that second quarter, just more punches kept rolling in for the Warriors. These were big. They got an opening run. Moses Moody hit a three. I think there was a layup in there and then also a mid-range from Otto Porter Jr. Got him a 7-0 stretch and got them up 35-20 to 20 in the first two minutes of the frame. And that's dangerous. That's like a danger zone for the Thunder. You cannot go down 15 points after 14 minutes. And it's kind of a knockdown. You know, you got to pick yourself back up. If they keep you know piling on those points, might consider it a knockout and say, this one could be over already. Uh, but they were not able to do that. The Warriors kind of quit rolling out those punches, and the Thunder had a chance to come back because Golden State went one of nine uh, through that six-minute mark. You know, I I guess it was a four-minute stretch because you go from the 10-minute mark to the six-minute mark, one of nine. That's what the Thunder were doing earlier in the first, and that's kind of how the Warriors were able to find themselves in a 15-point lead, get that real footing uh, in the contest. And the Thunder, with that chance, they really didn't do anything. They kind of stayed on that mat, only were able to scrap up seven points. So it was 37-27 to 27 after that major scuffle. So the Warriors kind of came out of that encounter pretty damn clean. And then they go right back to just scoring in bunches. Andrew Wiggins hit two consecutive triples. And then he also had an alley-oop jam mixed in there. Led a 14-7 run by the two-minute warning and OKC had a couple of shots that they were making at the end of things. Biggest moment, 27-foot buzzer beater from SGA. Uh, but that was it. They were still down double digits. It was 55-44 to by halftime. And honestly, all things considered, the Thunder having 44 points in the first half was nothing short of a miracle because they could not get anything to go in for the first quarter same goes to the second they didn't even have 30 points in the game until five minutes were left in the half so it was pretty damn ugly and I think the biggest source of that was just how they were handling the basketball they almost had doubled the turnovers as they did assists it was nine to five in that ratio and they shot four of 18 from downtown so Shots couldn't roll in, and then obviously you're going to give out free possessions to the Warriors. They'll take that in fast break and kill you pretty much every single time. And when you look at what the Warriors were doing, they weren't shooting overly impressive. You know, When you look at what the Lakers were doing, I guess that's a good example, they were shooting above 60% in their blowout half against the Thunder in the last game. The Warriors were only shooting 45.8%, and the Thunder were shooting clean 40%. In this first half but the big deal was from three they shot eight of 23 from there and then they had two main guys Draymond had 14 by halftime and Andrew Wiggins he used that major push to have 11 for himself Steph Curry wasn't on the board really at all he only had two shots go in five points and three assists uh that was a stat line for him so the door would still be open in terms of that because you know when Steph Curry's on he's going to be on the entire night's It's just a matter of when he gets hot in that game. With Draymond and Andrew Wiggins, we know they are both very, very flaky. So even down 11, you could try to position yourself back in, um, barring Curry just erupts. And the Thunder got a free basket to begin the half. They had Jeremiah Robinson Earl on a backdoor cut. Beautiful layup there. But then Steph Curry did exactly what the Thunder were dreading. And that was just getting into his zone, just taking shots from downtown. Doesn't matter how many people uh, is in front of him. You know, he's going to hit the jumper regardless. He hits three triples in the Warriors' first four shots, and the Thunder couldn't do much about it. To make it even worse, when Curry was making shots, it was trickling down the depth chart. Andrew Williams hit a three almost right after Curry's tangent and then they had an 18-9 run in the blink of an eye. So they're up 20 points, and they just held on to it for the entirety of the third quarter. You know, the Thunder, they were trying to chip away at it, uh, but it just didn't happen for them. The buckets were not going in, and they only had 58 points by the end of the third quarter. It was 82-58, to 58, and... He was kind of sitting there saying, you know, what is going on with this offense? Because Golden State, they didn't really have it complete completely together in the first half. They did have uh those splurges of buckets, so that kind of held them together. They had an excellent third. They shot seven of fourteen from three. OKC, okay, on the other hand, though, they actually kind of declined a bit when it came to shooting in the second half, at least to start it. Started. They went one of eleven from three. And they got outscored by Steph Curry single-handedly. So Curry had 15 points, and OKC only had 14 in the third quarter. And Curry, he made all his shots from three. He went 5 of 10 overall, but he went 5 of 8 from beyond the arc. For the Thunder, they thought they were going to, you know, out-battle Steph Curry. That's never going to happen, by the way. And they just fell flat on their face so one guy just outscores them in all you know that's going to put them over that 20 point threshold and going into that fourth quarter it was kind of over and Mark Dagnall threw out the flag he didn't put SGA in Lou Dort was out of action it was more or less about putting in the bench guys and giving them some reps so Alexei Pokashevsky and Ty Jerome got to play the entire 12 minutes in the quarter and OKC actually outscored the Warriors in this quarter, 24 to 21. Big deal. Gabriel Deck, he had nine points in seven minutes, didn't miss a shot, went three of three. One of those shots was from distance, and then he hit both attempts at the foul line. And then Alexei Pokashevsky had seven points for himself as well. So boost to production, I guess that's kind of a high note, but it wasn't going to make any sort of impact on this game. Golden State takes it 103 to 82. They move on from this game 5 and 1 on the year and for the Thunder, complete opposite side of the script at 1 and 5. And I'm going to break down all the numbers from this contest in a second. But first, I want to let you guys know about a really good deal going on at my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA is back, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. To make it even better, you guys can make same game parlays at DraftKings Sportsbook. Here's what you have to do. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only new customers only minimum five dollar deposit and one dollar wager required one per customer restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details and if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER but guys moving on to the actual stats from this game it was pretty damn ugly for the thunder they shot 35.8% 35.8% in the game. And when you look at what they were doing in the second half, it was closer to 30%. They barely even grazed 30% in the second. That's uh that's one you can't even make sound good, right? Like 30% is the lowest of the low. That's actual YMCA numbers, like I was talking about earlier. But it was bad. And then when you move out to the three-point arc, it got even worse. Eight of thirty-nine from there, that's twenty point eight percent. And the ball handling was out of control. 16 turnovers to 14 assists. Yeah, they ramped up the passing in the second half, but it was really not even that good in that one either. And then for Golden State, all they had to do was just sit uh, where they're comfortable at. And that's the three-point line. They have so many good shooters on this team. They got Curry. They got Jordan Poole. Klay Thompson's not on the team, but it didn't matter in this one. Draymond was hitting jumpers. Andrew Wiggins was out and about from there. And they just took shot after shot. They had 92 total field goals in this game. 52 of them came from downtown. That's pretty damn close to 60% of their shots. I think it's 56 or 58%, one of those two. And they hit 21 of those 52 tries. So they were around 40% from there. 63 points picked up from the three-point arc alone. And they were passing it like crazy. 30 assists in the game only had 15 turnovers for them and they came out on top in a major way Steph Curry no surprise he led the team in scoring had 20 points which how it looked in the third quarter where he dropped 15 by himself you would think he exploded for 50 points but he was locked down in the other three quarters granted he wasn't looking to shoot in those quarters Uh, But, you know, he didn't go off like many would have expected him to. So he got his 20 points going 7 of 16. All but one of those makes came from downtown. He shot 6 of 13 from beyond the arc. Picked up 5 rebounds and 6 assists in it as well. Gotta kind of remember, you know, he had that major third quarter. Didn't have to play in the fourth just due to the situation. Right behind him, though, you got three different guys who dropped 14. Draymond had all 14 of his in the first half. He was just taking it right to Darius Baisley, honestly. Six of eight from the floor. Most of that came around the paint. He did have one make from downtown, and he almost had a triple-double because he had 11 rebounds and eight assists. Andrew Wiggins slowed down in the second half as well, had the 14 points first half. Only got three in the second, so he got 14 points, going five of 13. Four of five from three, though. Had two rebounds. And then you had Jordan Poole, who kind of got to play in all the different scenarios. He can work with the starting unit, the bench, fourth quarter. Didn't really matter in this one. He picked up his 14 points, going six of 15, two of six from downtown, and had four assists. No major production from the bench in this one, I'd say. Otto Porter Jr. had 10 points going 4 of 6. I didn't really love anybody else from this group, though. Interesting breakthrough. Jonathan Kuminga did get to play in this game, though. And whenever I was kind of compiling um, you know, important matchups or fun matchups to watch out for before the season started, I actually had Golden State up here for when they came to town, and then also this one, because you got Curry And then you got to see Moses Moody and Jonathan Kuminga. Jonathan Kuminga barely played. He only had six minutes, and they all came in the fourth quarter. His role was nothing. You couldn't take any aspect of the night away uh, with Kuminga because he was just out there sitting at the corner in the wing, went one of four overall, hit one of three triples. So he had three rebounds, but that was legit it. And then Moses Moody, he did have one of those really clean threes, I think it was in the third quarter, but he shot two of seven, one of five from distance and just had six points on the game. So the rookies were not all that impressive in this one, uh, but you look at what the Thunder were doing. They weren't very impressive either. SGA was a leader in scoring for the Thunder he only had 15 points though and this draws back to what was going on with Houston where SGA was the leader but it was only like 13 14 points for him a lot of it has to do with the zone defense and how you play on screens if you're gonna force people to kick it out to three That's a success, especially when SGA is the guy driving inside, so you force him to kick out, and you're going to be good, that's what they did, he shot 6 of 14 overall in this game, only had 2 assists to go with it because no one was hitting their shots, and then you look at what he was doing as a shooter. He went 2 of 7 from 3, and this is the game changer. I've mentioned it so many times on this podcast. When SGA gets rolling from downtown, specifically on his step-back jumper, it's very hard to contain him. Him as a 3-level scorer is like a superstar. We have seen it. That's how they beat the Lakers, because he could just step back over and over again, kept hitting, and then he could drive inside and pick up 2 any way he wanted as well. He couldn't do it in this game, and that's why he got slowed down so much, and that's why the Thunder as a whole kind of did end up easing uh, on the gas tank just a little bit. Lou Dort had 14 points in this one. He had one rebound and one assist. His primary role against these superstar teams has to come down to locking up the star. Steph Curry kind of outclassed him, and it wasn't like it was a man-to-man coverage the entire time, so you can't put it all on Lou Dort. But Steph Curry was just nailing shots. And some of them, granted, were very, very tough. But Steph Curry, when he is feeling it, he's feeling it. Big thing with Dort, though, that he can control is his offensive production, especially when you look at him as a three-point shooter. He shot two of six from three. He really hasn't had that major catch-and-shoot game yet this year where you look at him and you just know the shot's going in. That's the only thing you could talk about during the preseason. I think that's kind of been wiped through six games thus far in the year so it was just tough for him he still get uh did get up there though with the 14 points and the only other scorer to get double digits was josh giddy with 10 points i think he might have been the best player on the thunders roster uh in saturday's game because he did have the 10 points four rebounds and six assists in 28 minutes nobody could pass the ball except for giddy honestly because you look at sga as the true number one of course. He only puts up two assists, and that's about all you're going to do. Ty Jerome had three assists. That was the second best on this team, and then you look at it at face value. They only had 14 assists anyway, so just getting six is pretty huge uh, in terms of the distribution. But he was great when it came to driving inside. I love him as a pick-and-roll player. He had one hezzy where he was driving left. Pops a moving hezzy gets two guys going, you got, uh, I think it's a Miami set, I don't know what it is, but there's a back screen going on, SGA setting it, Uh, and then there's Jeremiah Robinson Earl driving inside, so you take it from a three-on-three situation, pops the hezzy, gets both guys up in the air off of it, and then you got SGA with the screen, that's going to catch him up, it's a one-on-two situation, Giddy's on the left side, Jeremiah Robinson Earl's on the right And Andrew Wiggins is right on the basket, just elevates and then makes a beautiful just dish midair to Robinson Earl for a layup. That was a play that stood out to me. And he also had another one uh, where he was like bobbling a catch and he was still able to make a really crisp pass off whenever the pressure came to him. So he's a really fluid passer as well as a finisher he didn't even have to look at the three in this one he shanked both threes so I guess he technically did but the main deal is him with his floaters and he got a bank shot off with one of them in this game also just a true floater too but yeah he was probably the one guy who I don't think changed drastically from last game to this one Ty Jerome and Alexei Pokashevsky you could say they did better but they were in much different situations Ty, Jerome, and Poku have kind of been on the outside looking in. I'd say Ty more than Poku because Ty just hasn't played. Uh, But they both got to play in the fourth, like I talked about. They both finished with 19 minutes in this one. And Jerome was a nice touch to the game. He shot two of three from downtown, or I guess he hit, yeah, he hit two of his three made shots from distance to get eight points. And then he also had three assists and two steals. Poku, he was also good as well. Seven points all coming in that fourth quarter, but he had nine rebounds to go along with it and had a block. Big takeaway, though, with Jerome and Poku getting those minutes, you had to shave it off of somebody else. It's a lot simpler when you look at the front court because Derek Favors only played 10 minutes. It's a blowout. You're not going to play the 30-year-old for no reason. Give it to Poku. Let him kind of get more time on the court think it's a bit more complex when you look at what went on with Ty Jerome because we know that the guard unit is just jammed with different players. The only real contest you would have for this one would have been Teo or Ty. They went Ty really for the first time in the season in this game. So Jerome only or no, no, no. Jerome played 19. Maladon played 8. So he kind of got the short end of the stick. I'm kind of okay with that, though, because Teo— he hasn't been just this consistent six-man like maybe we thought he would have been. Jerome was good, though, and now you got an even more perplexing situation because Jerome just came off a good game, but you know Teo also has some juice in himself as well, so will be a toss-up probably heading into the LA Clippers game. Darius Baisley underperformed, and this is a little bit annoying, right? Because he has a 20-point game, I think he had eight rebounds to go along with it against LA. Had that final dunk at the first eight points for the Thunder. Like he was consistent. Outside of the two backboard threes he had, he was great. He might have been the Thunder's second best player, honestly. But he didn't follow it up well at all. He went right back to his habits of not being able to hit from three. He went 0 of 5, went 1 of 7 overall, and it's not like he didn't play much. Like, he was given an ample amount of minutes. He got to play 27 minutes uh, in this one, and he only got 5 points and 8 rebounds off of it. So you didn't see him as a three-level scorer when he's not able to hit threes. He's just not really a major player piece for you so consistency has really just been the major issue with Bayes this point in his season career whatever you want to call it and it's shown up again in year number three so hopefully that was just a bit of an outlier in terms of his production now you look at his track record I don't think it is but you just got to hold out hope because he is the starter We'll see if there's a transaction or some major movement, but based on how Poku has kind of been ousted a little bit, I don't know if Baisley is going to be moving to the bench uh, really anytime soon. You kind of always have to keep that in the back of your head, though, because the rotation is constantly shifting, and that is something that we know based on some of the transactions from this week. Now, Vit Kredge got assigned to the OKC Blue, briefly mentioned it on the pod last week. This is no surprise. That's kind of what was expected of him even when he signed the three-year contract because he hasn't played he had a torn ACL he suffered in September of 2020 he's got to get some in-game action and he's a player who has a pretty fun skill set you're not going to get the true value uh, out of that unless you're putting him in the G League because he won't get the uh, light of day I'd say with the NBA he's going to get the same treatment where he's getting eight nine minutes like a Poku might shoot up to 17 every once in a while but he hasn't even earned his stripes at all yet because he hasn't played professionally at least uh, at the NBA level got a score once so I guess you know what he has technically played two games but not really any significant minutes yet he's going to get real minutes with the blue they start on October 5th and they will also have some extra ammunition with first-round selection, Trey Man. OKC decided to put Poku in the Blues farm system last season. Was a major payoff for the number 17 pick. The number 18 pick of this year's draft is going right back in that pool. And they're hoping they can get the exact same success. And he's a type of player who can get serious buckets in a short amount of time. So I really like to fit with him uh, in the OKC Blues system also have to remember, like, the Thunder, they already have SGA, they have Tao, they have Ty, they have Lou, they just have too many guards right now, so Trey Mann, even though you highly coveted him and you decided to take him at pick number 18, you would never be able to play him uh, to his full value with the OKC Thunder, and Mark Dagnall has talked about this, even though he's assigned to the Blue, he'll probably be with the Thunder a decent amount of the time, because the Paycom Center... Uh, is actually going to be hosting the Blue Games and the Thunder Games this year. He didn't say that, you know, same game uh, performances will be happening where, like, you play 30 minutes uh, with the Blue and play 10 with the Thunder because you got to talk kind of with the medical team. But maybe playing with the Blue, getting uh, recalled to the Thunder and sitting on the sideline could be something that you see a decent amount of times during the course of the season. But this was a move that kind of... Sucks, but it almost needed to happen because you were just tied up too far. And if you wanted to go to the bottom of the totem pole, maybe it was Ty Jerome. Jerome was already with the blue. He doesn't need to be playing with the blue because he's an NBA level talent. And I'd say with Teo, the exact same thing. Like he didn't play with the blue, but he led the team in minutes last year. And he was one of the lone bright spots, I guess you could call it. So you can't put him there either. With Trey Man, he's deserving of giving uh getting NBA minutes with the thunder really based on the situation they have it should amplify his reps but they already have too many guards and dagnault mentioned it like even before the regular season started they talked about trey going to the g league and he must have been on board with it because look at where we are now he's with the okc blue and while the thunder go on their road game stand west coast they've just played the warriors they're gonna play the clippers trey Man will be with the blue training with them So I'll be talking more about that situation probably in the next couple of days. I said I was going to do an OKC Blue-related pod two days ago. I was not able to do that, sadly. I apologize, but I still got all the content from that one kind of in my back pocket right now, just waiting to drop it, probably after the LA Clippers recap for tomorrow. So I'll talk about Trey Man. I'll talk about Vit. talk about everybody on this Blue team and maybe what to expect from them as the season tips off on the 5th. But I want to talk about a game the Thunder will be facing tonight at 9.30 Central Standard Time. First really, really late game we're going to have on the schedule. Thought the Warriors game would have been one. Nope. Even though it was in San Fran, they decided to keep it around 7 to 7.30. This is a 9.30 tip, so you will probably uh, uh, be up till like 12 in the morning if you want to watch the full length. Of this one, and this is an intriguing matchup because the Thunder, we know their situation. They're one and five. They are looking to tank. The Clippers, they're not looking to tank. They're actually looking to contend. Now Kawhi, he suffered his season-ending injury over the summer, so they only have Paul George, and they got other pieces like Reggie Jackson and such but they're not at their true form right now and even though they've had some very impressive performances if you check the standings you would never know they're 1 and 4 right now and they're at the bottom of the barrel if you're a tankathon guy if you spin the wheel like 5 times a day chances are you're going to find OKC with the top 2 picks how is that OKC they could be 1 or 2 doesn't matter LA, they are in the lottery discussion and due to the Paul George trade, they gave away an unprotected 2022 pick to the Thunder. So the Thunder have full control of LA's board come draft night. Kind of scary looking at what they're at right now, one and four. Got to keep in mind, it's not like the Clippers have been having cupcake games and just been blowing them. They've been They've been playing true, true competitions the entire five games, but, you know, you want to make sure they're getting as many losses as possible, so if you're on this tanking boat and you always want the Thunder to be losing, you know, they're inexperienced. They're going to pick up losses along the way, but this is one game where you want to pick the Thunder to win this. You need them to win because it's going to help the odds uh, for the Clippers pick and potentially, you know, when it comes down to the wire, a game or two, setting you beyond like the 10 seed or the 11 seed, they might fall out and they might become a serious lottery threat due to the reform that they've had in place. Because I look at the Clippers team now, I don't see them as really a top six or seven team. I think they're probably going to have to work into the play-in. And I talked about it actually uh, when we were discussing draft picks during the summer on this podcast, but I i genuinely think that's where they're going to be at because Kawhi is out paul george has played at nba levels or mvp levels to this point he's coming fresh off a 42 point game where they lost to the trailblazers 42 points and eight rebounds for him he went 15 of 24 in that game and then he also had a 41 point game in his second game of the season against the grizzlies 41 points with 10 rebounds and 4 assists. So he's been a one man band. He's jacking up a ton of shots per game. He's averaging over 20 a contest right now. So if you're looking to limit the main source, you're going right to Paul George and you're going to force a double team because you'd be fine letting guys like Reggie Jackson spur on some points. Hell, he looked great in the playoffs, but continue to test him just like what teams have been doing with sga get the ball out of the number one's hands and force the other people to make decisions for themselves and due to the formula that we've seen that's why the clippers are at one and four currently so you know i'm not going to slide them they still have some very good players on their roster like i talked about reggie's averaging 14 luke Kennard, surprisingly is averaging 12.4 eric bledsoe can never forget about him. He's still chalking up double digits a game. They have a couple players out for the contest, though. Serge Ibaka has been ruled out. Same goes with Marcus Morris. They have a weakened front court. I still like the front court matchup for the Clippers more than the Thunder, obviously. They have Ivaka Zubach, who is really just a back to basket big. That is the main problem for the Thunder. And then Isaiah Hartenstein as well, who he's not bad. Uh, he's kind of just that average uh, once again back to basket big that you can employ on your team so two of those guys i don't think they're going to overwhelm the thunder at all the main thing is just what paul george does because if he spreads his wings it will be an issue for the thunder now when you look at the thunder currently they do have an injury report that's um you know, not as easy as it has been in the past. You know, when we talk about the injury report, it's been so clean cut for the Thunder. It's literally been Vit kretschy or Trey Mann because they're with the blue. And then same goes with guys like Aaron Wiggins and Paul Watson Jr. because they're just not available for play. Now, there's multiple different players out. On top of those three, four guys, Lou Dort has been ruled out with a shoulder injury and Gabrielle Deck might also be out uh, with a heel injury for himself. So with Deck... I don't really think it has many implications, but if Dort is out, this is a game where you're going to be able to see all the different rookies, or not even rookies, just the young guys at the guard positions finally get their shot, and maybe, just maybe, Josh Giddy gets to take on Paul George, which would be a very, very fun storyline, you know, it's going to happen probably because Dort is out. We'll see him on multiple reps, but is it going to be a man-to-man where he's always on him, or will we see some trade-offs where maybe you're going to see some other players tossed into the mix, like a Kenrich Williams or something like that, because he probably would be the most surefire defender to place on a guy like Paul George. I really want to hone in, though, on Teo and Ty, because I do think they are going to get a lot more looks now with Lou Dort out of the rotation, and it still might pull some numbers, For some other youngsters to get time. Maybe Isaiah Roby working at the three again. Jeremiah Robinson Earl could get some time tapped down there. We'll have to check the dominoes that will fall. I think one also tiny mention for the Clippers that, you know, probably doesn't matter on the grand scheme of things because it is one of those like Crudgy or like Paul Watson uh, injury report lines. But two different players will also be out for them. You have Keon Johnson, one guy that they actually traded up to select in the draft. He's going to be with the Agua Caliente Clippers in the G League right now, so he's not going to play. And then Jason Preston also will be out. So two rookies from their side will be out, and then you got guys like Serge Ibaka who will be out from time, so that's going to hurt them. And then for the Thunder, they also have that major wound in Lou Dort, and then kind of spreads out to a couple others as well so this is kind of like the lakers game where you look at it and you know the advantage is not going to be in the thunder side like you check espn's prediction report which i don't give a damn about what they say at least for the prediction report because i've seen some things college football wise they don't let the cowboys get any breathing room they play against kansas you know 70 percent chance you're considering this matchup kind of similar to that absolutely not i don't want to hear anything about that but um yeah, you know, they're giving an 80.2% shot in this one. I think it's closer to like 60-40. I think this is one the Thunder could steal. You know, they have to make sure that Paul George is clamped up. But it's just like the LA matchup where you know LeBron's outs. You have the main dude in AD. If AD shut down, you look at a guy like Westbrook, he could go off or he could just fall out. He had a major, major high in that first half, fell down in the second half, and then he ended up kind of going out in a gust of flames with that ejection at the end because he did uh, not perform well to end it. I don't look at this Clippers team as lethal, to be honest with you. I think that Paul George can erupt, but if you kind of quiet him down, you're going to have to look at guys like Jackson, who, sure, they can go off or a Bledsoe, and that's fine. If Reggie Jackson scores 30 points or Bledsoe drops 20+, plus, good for them. They earn this win. But you don't want the stat line to look like Paul George drops 45 and then the Clippers escape with their second victory of the season. Absolutely not. So... You lock down Paul George, your chances are legitimate, and I think it could be a 48-minute contest, and that's what you want to see with the OKC Thunder. And like I said, guys, this game will be played at 9.30 Central Standard Time, so it's going to be one of those late West Coast games, first one of the year. So stay up, stay ready, and get ready for tomorrow's pod where I will give you all a recap. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.